0: Good morning. Good morning. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. And we cry out, Hosanna, uh, that he is the one. He is the one who saves. Um, and what a joy to gather on this Palm Sunday, uh, that, that, as Pastor Barry said, that, that day when Jesus would have rode into Jerusalem um, and, and would have heard cries of Hosanna. And then days later, uh, what we will look at this coming week, this holy week, um, as we look to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, and we remember uh, what happened there for us. Um, and so this is the beginning of that week. And, and I, I want to invite you, if you haven't already made plans, just before you get started today, I want to invite you, uh, make, make, make plans to take part as a family this week. Um, and so whether that's uh, as a family, I would encourage you. We're going to even, as the elders, be sending out um, some some reflections on the cross of Jesus Um, But we'd also encourage you, as a family, reflect on Jesus together, and then let's gather together and let's worship on Good Friday. Let's consider we're going to consider the whole history of redemption through Scripture and through song. Um, And then Saturday, of course, we're having our grand opening. It's going to be a great celebration. A good time to invite friends. Have a we'll have just have a it'll be a party out here. Um, And then on uh, Sunday, uh, we'll gather to celebrate uh, the Risen Christ and. Um, if, if you haven't heard, also, uh, as this marks the beginning of April, uh, we're actually making a shift in our, uh, our COVID policy, so I uh, w- wanted to remind you of that as we, as we head into April, where we're moving. This service is becoming a masks optional service. Um, we're continuing to have our first service be ask, we're asking folks to wear a mask to that service. But this second service will become a mask optional service. And, and we're going to do the same on Good Friday, 5 and 6.30. So the second service will be like that as well. We're going to keep that same model. So I uh, just want you to be aware of that so that you can make plans uh, accordingly. Um, all right. Well, as we move into, uh, into uh, the sermon this morning, our text is uh, Hebrews 11 and, and Genesis 5. Um, and when, when I was in high school, uh, I was on the freshman and sophomore basketball team. Uh, those were the glory days. Um, and at, at Klein Oak High School, uh, I think you can probably imagine how good I must have been. Um, and if I remember, as a freshman, uh, we, every so often we'd end up in practice with the JV and the varsity teams. Um, and, and something became painfully clear in those practices, like very quickly, uh, something, someone did not belong. Uh, I would, I would put the little, you know, I would put my crossover dribble on whoever was guarding me and what might have usually gotten me a step. There was still a person there. Like they didn't, they, I didn't fake anybody. Um, and, and, uh, we were, we were outmatched. EJ Hill is a name I'm sure none of you know. Uh, but EJ Hill the, the state triple jump uh, champ, I mean, the dude was amazing. He's on the varsity team. He's, he's like my height, but he's dunking. Um, there's, there's Tommy Hauser raining down threes. The varsity team is just showing us uh, how to play basketball. And, and, and the, the question, you know, just began to ring through. You're like, why am I even here? Like, what am I doing? I'm not becoming that. Uh, and uh, today, as we're walking through Hebrews 11, uh, we've, we're seeing this who's who of the faith. Right, uh, This cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12 is going to say. They're testifying to us, witnessing to us about uh, the faith of God and why God is worth it, why we should endure. And, and in this, what's a who's who's list in the Old Testament without the name Enoch? Right? I, I think if we probably went around the room and just said, hey, who are your heroes of the scriptures? I don't think Enoch's name would come up. Uh, maybe, maybe after like a few rounds, we we'll would be like, I got to come up with some of Enoch, that guy. Um, and so we're talking about a guy who, outside of a couple of mentions in genealogies, um, he only gets two other mentions in the whole Bible. <clears throat> I texted Lawson this week. He and I sit together and, and plan through uh, our sermon series, and, and uh, I texted him, and I just jokingly said, hey, how, how late in the week uh, should I wait before I just decide to skip straight on to Noah. Um, because uh, it's get, the weeks, the weekend's getting closer, um, but but I, I think uh, you know, I think Enoch would have been okay with that, right? Noah is Enoch's great grandson, so uh, great grandpas are cool. They they're good with their great great grandsons getting the shine. Um, but I think the author of Hebrews has something he's trying to do. Um, there's a reason why he wants us to take a minute and look. He's given a headline slot to this man. Along the, the same, along, along the same headline as Abraham, Noah, Moses. Um, and so if he's done that, then certainly we should, we should give him a few minutes of our attention. So, so here we go. Four things we're going to see as we examine the life and faith of Enoch. Number one, death is here to stay. Number two, wait, are there exceptions? Number three, pleasing God. And number four, the reward of faith. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us today? As we look at the scriptures, We every week, we need, we need your spirit to help us. We need your spirit to speak to us, to help us understand, to bring uh, understanding and application of the scriptures to our lives. But more than anything, we need you. We want to know you. God, would you, would you help our lives be, to be laid in, in front of you that the scriptures would, would, would probe into our lives um, Amen. would show us who you are and how we're to follow you. And so God, we need this today and we ask it all in Christ's name, amen. All right, well, number, number one, death is here to stay. So let, let's, catch up, let's catch back up on a little background. We, uh, going, going back to last week's, Sermon, uh, just a quick reminder of what we saw uh, in Genesis 3 and 4. So the, these two chapters in the scriptures don't just serve as a, a framework for understanding the story of Cain and Abel uh, that we looked at last week, but they really give us a framework for an understanding of the whole Old Testament and the whole, whole Bible. Uh, and so remember God's promises that we see there in Genesis uh, 3 to the serpent and to Adam and Eve. Um, after the fall, here's what, here's what he tells him. He tells, him, uh, he tells Eve that she's going to experience pain in childbirth. He tells Adam about how the ground itself is going to feel the curse, how he's going to work by the, the sweat of his brow. He's going to have a sore back now trying to get food. And, and, and then God also turns to the serpent, and he promises that the woman's offspring will crush the head of the serpent's offspring and that he would strike her offspring's heel. And so this sets up this this cosmic battle uh, that's going to play out for centuries. The satanic powers, the prince of the power of the air, out to destroy the offspring of the woman. And those who fear God have always longed for the day, longed for the day that the offspring of the woman, the, the seed of promise would show up, and the God of peace would soon crush Satan underneath our feet. And so last week, the author of Hebrews, he introduces... The first two players on the scene, we see Cain, uh, Eve's firstborn, whom Scripture calls, it says, "Is he's of his father, the devil?" So that's not good. And then we meet Abel. This is the true seed of the woman, the seed of promise. And Abel worshipped the Lord, and Cain, in his evil, murderous rage, he refuses to listen to God. And what does he do? He kills, his, he kills his brother Abel. And so the rest of Genesis four keeps the camera kind of fixed on on this line of Cain. Cain is banished further east, away from his family, and he takes a wife and has children, and his firstborn son is named Enoch. Now, this this Enoch is not our Enoch. Apparently, they were still trying to get creative at coming up with names, so uh, there's some some name uh, copying that happens. Uh, and they're not. This is not like if you've seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. This is not like the evil uses. Um, they're not like the same person, but opposite. But there is. Th- this is Cain's wickedness is being shown out in his line. And so Cain and his son Enoch they establish a city, and and they and they they multiply there. Uh, Cain's line multiplies there, and they excel in new technologies. They make bronze and, and iron tools. But most of all, what they excel in, they excel at evil. Evil is multiplying. Cain's descendants are marked by the same arrogance, uh, the same violence that marked Cain. Kane. And Cain's family peaks <clears throat> seven generations in from Adam. Now, I'm sorry, we're doing like a little bit of family tree here. We don't normally do that on Sunday morning, but, you know, a little, little diagramming helps us a little bit here, I think. Cain's Kane, family tree, uh, the seven lines in from Adam... Through Cain, it, 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 it peaks at a man named Lamech. And Lamech is the epitome of this sort of self-centered rage and brutality. He, he's, he's the first one that we see in the scriptures to take more than one wife. Um, and, and Moses even records a poem uh, in Genesis 4 from Lamech to his wives. And it's, it's, it's not a love song. Uh, it's basically a two-part poem slash threat. And, and here's what he says to him. He says, you better listen to me because I killed the dude. That was, that's, basically, that's my translation of what Lamech says, the poem that he writes to his, his wives. And then second, he, 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 tells, he tells everyone, anyone who would cross me, Cain, uh, he'll be avenged seven times over. But if he crosses me, Lamech, then he's going to be avenged 77 times over. He's, he's, he's threatening violence against those who would cross him. And, and remember, so this is, this is what's populating the earth uh, so far. This is this, The story of earth is starting to sound like uh, the prologue to a Mad Max movie. I mean, like, it's, it's grim. Uh, not so great. A violent place. Um, and I, I think on a related note, we're about to get to the part of Hebrews 11 where we look at Noah. There's a reason why there was a flood uh, that came as wickedness was multiplying and thriving on the earth. But if Genesis 4... Uh, is, is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible, uh, a case study in the brokenness uh, that, that comes from the fall uh, of the sin of Adam and Eve, uh, then Genesis 5 is the reminder that the story's not over. The story's not over yet. All is not lost. And it starts with the hopeful last two verses of Genesis 4. It says this in Genesis 4, those last two verses. It says, Adam was intimate with his wife Eve again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another offspring in place of Abel since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. And then check this out in verse 26 of the last verse, the last words of Genesis 4. And at that time, people began to call out the name of the Lord. People began to call on the name of the Lord. So let me just say for a minute, for those of us, who maybe are anxious people, maybe even, maybe even you get angry when you look around and you see the flourishing of sin in, your, in the world around you, you see the blossoming of evil. And you may, you may think, man, the world is slipping into a chasm. Our country is going into a chasm. Maybe even the church, you feel the church, man, the church is getting dragged down. Christianity is in danger. Guess what? God is not anxious. God is not anxious. He's not worried about whether the gates of hell will triumph over the church. No, there, there are always those who will call upon the name of the Lord. God always preserves his people of promise. And so here we are in Genesis 5 against the backdrop of this evil that's happening in Genesis 4. And we see the family line of the promise. We've seen the wickedness flourish. And now we get to meet the good guys, or at least kind of the good guys. Uh, so, so look. I, I know. I know. We often skip genealogies and things like this, and I, it's understandable. Um, we get to that part of the Bible reading, and we're like, "Man, I got to get to the next part of the story. I don't know what's happening here." Um, but this is a genealogy of hope, mixed with a tinge of sadness. Uh, but it's it's here to tell us that the promise is alive. Uh, look at look at each person. If you're looking in, in your in your copy of the scriptures, if you're looking in there, you can see. Uh, that each person gets three verses in this, in this genealogy. So and so was blank years old when he fathered blank, and he lived blank more years for a grand total of blank years. That's kind of the, the formula. Uh, and the last line of each section is the same. And then he died. That's what we get. And then he died over and over. He died. He died. He died. He died. The jarring reminder that that though this is the family of the promise, sin has still broken things. The refrain of Genesis 5 is that Adam's sin means that every single person who who takes a breath on the earth will eventually breathe their last. Death is here to stay. But right in the middle of this hopeful and yet still fatal list, uh, in the middle of he died, he died, he died, we meet Enoch. He gets the same formula, the same kind of writing style here. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. That sounds a little bit different than the other ones. And fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. But Enoch gets one little bitty extra verse. Here's his extra verse, right? One, no big deal. One extra verse. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God then he was not there because God took him. Say what? <laughs> like, what is going on? This is, this is all, there's a lot of dying and a lot of dying, and then he, God took him? Uh, so we're seven generations in on the line of Cain, right? The seed of the serpent, <clears throat> all built to Lamech, the, the brutal, vengeful murderer, and now we're seven generations in from Adam <clears throat> through the line of Seth, the seed of the woman, the seed of the promise. And it all builds to Enoch. And Enoch walked with God. And by faith, Hebrews says, God took him. He didn't even taste death, we're told. What a, what a strange twist. So, so death, number one, death is here to stay. And then number two, wait, are there exceptions? And so this is our, what is happening, right? So we're going to meet Enoch. And before we get to the, the God took him, let's, let's just look at what's happening in Enoch's life. Uh, in verse 21 of Genesis 5, it says Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. So this, this phrase doesn't show up in the Old Testament a lot. Um, this isn't as, a, we don't, it's not as flippant as we use it. We'll say, hey, how's your walk with God? How, how long you been walking with God? Um, no, this is, <clears throat> this is bigger. This is, this is ab- more Abnormal. Um, this is deep fellowship and intimacy. Only three times in the Old Testament do we hear it said of people, of Enoch and of Noah and of Levi. Um, it's a lofty thing to say. Um, interestingly, in the, in the Greek translation of the New Testament uh, that, came, that, that, came out, uh, that came around right before Jesus, uh, the translators who, who translated the Hebrew scriptures, the Septuagint, into Greek, um, they, they didn't like that God gave, uh, they, they, they shied away from using descriptors of God that were human descriptions. <clears throat> so they, they didn't like to, uh, in English, we, we, we learned the phrase anthropomorphism, if you've heard that before. Uh, that's as, ascribing human characteristics to something non-human, to a, a thing or to a, a person who's non-human like God. Um, and and th- those translators shied away. And so they tried to translate. What does it mean that he walked with God? So they did some translation work and their, their translation of the Hebrew scripture said that Enoch pleased God. Enoch, uh, pleased God. And so that, that's, that's where are the Hebrews guys, uh, the, the, the author of Hebrews, he runs with this, right? He uses this, this, uh, phraseology to, to describe the life of Enoch. <clears throat> Mutual enjoyment between God and man. Enoch pleased him. Uh, there, this is a two-way relationship. <clears throat> so what can we, we draw from Enoch walking with God? Uh, First, I think it's interesting that we're not told exactly what this means, uh, that he walked with God. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But second, I think it's interesting that he notice he walked with God only after he became a father. Now, I, I don't want to read a whole lot into the text here, but, I, but it's still there. There's something about becoming a father. The horizontal relationship of having children uh, changed Enoch's vertical relationship uh, with God, which I think speaks something powerful uh, parents, I, I don't know how, how many of you can remember uh, what it was like uh, your adult life uh, pre-children. Uh, I, I can, I can kind of remember that part of my life, but it's beginning to blur out. Um, the, the, and hear, hear what I'm saying now. The, getting married, having children, these are not necessities for godliness. Um, so I want to be clear about that. But, but having said that, we also know that iron sharpens iron, right? Few things show a single man or a single woman the depth of their depravity quite like getting married. Suddenly, your preferences don't always win the day. Right uh, before marriage, you wanted to do something, you got the money, you got the time, you do it. After marriage, you had somebody else to consider. This is why I always encourage single people, who, who uh, adult single people, man, think about it. if you're not living with family members or somebody else, maybe think about a roommate. Uh, you'll learn something about your selfishness there. Iron sharpens iron. Uh, so marriage brings selfishness to the surface, uh, but as long as, you, as long as you share a bit of the same preferences, you may not have to sacrifice so much, right? Uh, I mean, in fact, it's fun, right? It's fun getting married. Uh, you sacrifice some, but you gain a partner. In fact, if you want to truly come face-to-face with your selfishness, have a baby. That baby's not going to share your preferences, they don't care what your hobbies are or what sort of sleep schedule you like or whether you prefer spit up in your beard. They don't care what you're doing at all. They, they just want what they want. They need what they need and they want it now. Uh, for, for many people, I, I think the sacri- it's through the sacrifice that's embedded in fatherhood and in motherhood that by God's grace, we see a, a better glimpse into the father's patience with us. How great the father's love that he's lavished on us, 1 John 3, that we could be called his children. His love is so over the top, so lavish. We could not have possibly loved him first. We're we're just little babies, but he loved us. And when you see the father's lavish love, it changes you. And so I think for Enoch, I think it's at least in the text that only after he became a father did he begin to walk with his heavenly father. And this went on for 300 years, which in the scope of how long people were living, this is just a, he had a short life. Enoch became a man in those 300 years of deep fellowship with the Father. I I think we have to assume that means he he woke up early to to spend time with his father in prayer. Think about this. He got got to sit down with with Adam. He got to sit down. Uh, with Seth and with Keenan, these, these people were all alive for almost all of Enoch's life. That's mind-blowing. We don't think about that, right? In the, in the course of these people being born, they were all alive. He would get to t- talk to them and hear their testimonies of who God is and how God had, had moved for them. He, he meditated on their stories of God's faithfulness. He, he would have treasured times of worship, prayer with the Father. He, he walked with God. Some, some, some Jews hold Enoch in very high regard. Um, others others uh, there, There's a lot of kind of outside literature about Enoch and who he was or wasn't. Um, but, but, but certainly Hebrews is telling us he was a model, a model of faith. Uh, and, and so maybe we don't get the nitty gritty of Enoch's life. And I think maybe that's because we would abuse some of that knowledge. Uh, certainly, if, if we knew more about Enoch's life, somebody would write the book, right? Somebody would make the formula. Uh, here's how you walk with God. Here's, here's the Enoch diet, the Enoch schedule. Here's the six Enoch steps. Um, and this is, what, this is how God will please you. And, and maybe there'd be cults that would come, out, come about. Here's how you escape death um, if you follow the Enoch way. And so I, I, maybe there, there's, certainly there's a reason that the Lord doesn't give us that kind of detail. But I think we must know this. Outside of Christ returning soon, None of us will escape death. None of us. Only Enoch and Elijah do we see in the scriptures like this. Even Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. What did he do later? He died later. But why? Why did God take Enoch? We we don't know for sure. Uh, But I want you to think about the timeline here for a minute. Only a few years before Enoch uh, was taken to be with God, uh, Adam... The first man, I mean, we're talking a short number of years before Enoch died, Adam, before Enoch was taken, Adam died, the first man. Death finally took its first victim in this line of of God's people, his first victim by natural causes. The line of death has begun. And before another one in Adam's line dies, another one in Seth's line dies, God says, I'm going to take one. I'm going to take one. And, and just maybe, and I, 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 I don't want to speculate too much, but I, but I, I think we, we see the time of how this plays out. Just maybe God is giving us a little preview. He's saying this, this whole death thing that you're about to all experience, it's going to be brutal. And it is death. is awful. But he's saying death is still subject to me. And a day is coming when death won't have... The final say. And so after Adam dies, Enoch, who walks with God, the Hebrew, Hebrew says he pleased God, and then God took him. So that brings us to uh, number three, pleasing God. Over in Hebrews 11, our text, as we're walking through chapter 11, it says this way, By faith Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's crazy to hear that by, that, that by faith, Enoch was taken away, that, that he didn't experience death. And why? Because he pleased God. Oh, that that would be said of us, that we would please God. And, and so let me... Let me ask just that personal question this morning. How, how will you please God? How will you please God? And how will you know that you have done it? Uh, it's, a, it's an intimidating question, isn't it? What, what's your plan? What's your strategy for pleasing God? There's nothing better than the approval of God. To know that you make him happy. So how will you do it? How will you please God? I, I mean, I'm sure we all have our unending list of of Ways that we think God will be happy with us. Certainly daily time pursuing God and his word. Regular regular time in the scriptures and in prayer. Surely this this pleases God. Certainly worshiping him through song and through uh, com- communion with the saints. Uh, being together with God's people. Surely this pleases God. Using, using our gifts and our talents to serve him. Uh, we know he cares about his people. So serving his people with the gifts he's given us. Surely this brings a smile to to God, And of course, there's, there's mission. We know God's pleased by, by others knowing him. So it stands to reason that, he, that God would be pleased when we tell others about him. And what about the causes that, that, that are after God's heart that he cares about? Pursuing love and justice for the outcast, for the oppressed. Caring uh, for the unborn. Caring for the poor. Ministering to prisoners. Loving those who are overlooked. Caring for orphans and widows. How pleased God must be. Uh, When we are about the least of these. But how many of these must we do? And how often? And how will we know when we've done it? Thankfully, I think Psalm 24 gives us an answer to this question. Psalm 24, which we looked at a a few weeks ago, uh, starting in verse 3, the psalmist says this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully, and in verse 5, he will receive blessing from the Lord. Okay, so that's, that's all you got to do. So just clean hands and a pure heart, then God will be pleased. Oh, and also don't run after false things. Okay. Oh, and don't deceive anybody else. Okay, I think we're all out. The mountain of God's holiness is unscalable. You won't make it. You will die before you get to even the most treacherous peaks. James 2 says, Whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. No, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Only Jesus. Jesus scaled every peak. He stood in the holiest of places. He has clean hands, a pure heart. There's no falsehood in him. And verse five, he received blessings from the Father. Jesus pleased the Father. He's the only one who could do it. And so let me ask again, how will you please God? The answer is apart from Christ, you won't. But Jesus pleased the Father for you. And now, by faith, Hebrews says, by faith, you can draw near. By faith, you can please God. By faith, Enoch pleased him. And he's, the Father's pleased with you because he's pleased with Jesus. I think so many of us live under a cloud of divine disappointment. Many of us, are, I think, are marked by an overwhelming feeling that if, if God loves me, he probably does so begrudgingly because he must just be massively disappointed in me. Christian, God is not disappointed in you. Let me say that again. God is not disappointed in you. We've done this study, the gospel-centered life in our groups before, and it asks the question, what's the expression on God's face when you think of how he looks at you? And Amy reminded me, my wife, she reminded me recently uh, that no matter how many times we do that study, that her, her gut response to the question is, oh, he's probably disappointed. It's probably just a look of disappointment. We've got to kill that idea. If you are hidden in Christ, the Father is perfectly pleased with you. Not because of you, but because he's perfectly pleased with Christ. You have grace upon grace. Love upon love from the Father. Does this mean now that we just keep on sinning? By no means, Paul says in Romans 6. But no, we're free now. We're free to follow him, free to love him, free to obey him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Father delights in you. The Bible says this. As you draw near to him in faith, he sings over you with love. Enoch, please God. How? By faith. And that's how we do it as well. Without faith, it is impossible for us to please God, Hebrews says. That means we have no innate ability in ourselves to do it. Like Enoch, we have to trust someone other than us. Faith in the perfect man, in Jesus. That is how we draw near to the Father. This is why when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. Why? Because we're abiding in the Son and through him, we can ask the Father for help. Enoch pleased God by faith, and that's how we'll do it. Which leads us to number four, the reward. What is it that we believe by faith? <clears throat> Hebrews eleven six, our second verse in Hebrews 11 here today. Now without faith, it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So first, we, we believe that God exists. This is trusting in the reality of God. This is thinking rightly about God, and then, and then drawing near to God because of what we know of him. I don't think Adam and Eve and Cain, I don't think they failed to believe in the existence of God, um, though you could argue that they, that they didn't, that they didn't think rightly of him. But they did refuse to draw near to God. Why? They didn't draw near to God because they didn't believe. They didn't trust that being near to God would be rewarding. No, in their sin, they they loved the dark. They wanted to be away from God. Better things were found in the dark. They believed God. To be with him meant God's going to hold out on me. But faith means believing that he rewards those who seek him. This isn't about prosperity Uh, this isn't uh, if I see God he'll reward me uh, with all sorts of trinkets in this life Uh, no this is about satisfaction the one who trusts God believes that when he gets close to God that there's nothing better that being near to God that that trumps every other reward that sin might promise that there's no greater reward than Jesus Has, has following Jesus disappointed you were there, were there other rewards that you hoped for when you followed Jesus? Is it, man, man I thought I'd be happier now. I thought God would, would lead me to a better life, a better job. I certainly thought if I followed Jesus, I'd be married by now. Or that if I followed Jesus, my spouse would be better. They would treat me better. God, I, I've done what you asked. I've played my part. Why aren't you playing yours? Why aren't you rewarding me? Where is my reward? Have you ever thought things like that? God, I've obeyed you. Why haven't you come through for me? We're all prone to thinking like this. But listen to the reward that God offers you. This is Isaiah 40. The prophet Isaiah says this, starting in verse 10. He says, see, the Lord God comes with strength, and his power establishes strength his rule. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. And here's the reward. Here's what he brings. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. God's reward for you is God. He protects you. He carries you. And where does he take you when he carries you? He takes you to himself. He brings you into the fold of his garment. You get him. Philip Hughes, commentator, said, to imagine that faith is in itself meritorious or establishes a claim on God and his rewards is to do violence to the very concept of faith, which is the response of total dependence on the grace and goodness of God. To seek God for other purposes, for rewards other than God himself, that's not the pursuit of faith. That's that's a pursuit of demand. Here's what I've done, God. Now give me what you owe me. No, God rewards those who seek him. We don't seek his his rewards. He is the reward. Any joy, any blessing, this is an extension of his grace, his perfections. The world does earning of rewards. That's how the world works. But Christ's rewards are given by grace. He gives himself. Any goodness in us, it's because of him. He is working in us. He is justifying. He is sanctifying. It's all his grace. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? He's saying, if there's any goodness in you, don't boast about it. That's that's from Christ. Any goodness in you, the the reward should go to Christ anyway. He's the one who brought it about. God is the reward. We must believe this. And by faith, that's Enoch's testimony to us. This is why Enoch walked with God. This This is how we know he pleased God. He knew there was nothing better than to be with the Father. And that the Father is the one who is his ultimate good. And for those who know about this about God, they draw near. Like Enoch, by faith, we, we want to walk with the Father. What else could be better? What reward could be greater? Drawing near to the Father, that's got to be more than just church attendance and, and reading every now and then. When God is your reward, you want him all the time. You want to be with him. You want, uh, to, you want him in all things. You want to read about him and talk to him. You want to sing and be be in community with others who are also about him. Why? Because you want more of him. James 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I I think if Enoch could say it, he would say, walk with God and he will walk with you. Charles Spurgeon compared the the Christian life uh, to a a child who, who walked with a good father. A child, and I want us just to imagine that. As we wrap up, I want, us, I want you to imagine what it's like as, as, a, as a small child to be on a walk with God as your father. Our, our elementary kids are in the service, so maybe you guys actually have a better idea of what this is like. You can actually imagine what it's like to go on a walk with your, with your, with your father, your mother. You can imagine this. there, there is, When you walk with the father, When you are hand in hand with him walking, steep hills aren't so steep anymore. He's going to help you. When you walk with the Father, the threat of weather isn't as awful. He'll be there with you. There's comfort in the warmth and the tightness of his grip. And there's happiness with the Father. There's laughter. There's security in knowing that he wants you to be there. And what confidence do you have when you walk... With your Father. You might even say that you could be confident in all things. When you walk with your Heavenly Father, neither height nor depth, nor things present or things to come, not even death nor life, nothing can separate you from His love. What can man do to me? We might boast. We might even find that as we walk with Him, that, that even as we see our own weaknesses, it's okay because He's stronger, He's with us. His strength is perfect. In fact, as we walk, we're going to learn more and more that our Father can be trusted. He'll never leave us. The constant dread and anxiety about life that I once had, I don't have it. It's evaporating. Why? Because He's there. Oh, and what you'll learn when you walk with the Father. He's going to teach you how to navigate the rocky places. As you hear his words in the morning, he's going to train you. And at night, his word will serve as a lamp unto your feet and a light into your path. Walking with him, he listens. He hears your concerns. He's never too busy as you walk to listen to you. He knows your fears already, but he's patient as you tell them, as you cry out to him. He reminds you of what is true about himself and of your future with him. This is what it's like to walk with a good father. And watch out because when you walk for long with the father, you'll actually begin to become become like the father. He is going to make you holy. In fact, you'll, you'll love him so much that you'll want to walk like him. You'll love truth and hate sin. And maybe this sort of walk doesn't sound that exciting, but walking with the father is exciting. Man, there is nothing more exciting. He will make you so happy. Even walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when he's there, there's joy. This is the walk of faith. This is the walk with our Father. This is abiding in God. If you don't know Jesus today, I would would implore you, come to him. He will receive you. He will forgive you. He will help you to walk with the Father. He will be with you. God can be your Father, so come to Him. He he will be delighted to walk with you. And for church Christians, those those of you who believe and are walking with Jesus, I, I want you to know, I want you to believe that there is no greater honor, no greater reward than to keep walking with your Father. So may we, Walk with Him. May we count everything else as loss compared with the surpassing joy that it is to walk with Him. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we are so easily deceived. We are so easily lured to believe that other things will be rewarding, that other things will be ultimately good for us, that things other than You will be what satisfies, and we are wrong again and again. Would you help us today to see you as our reward? Father, would we see no greater joy than the joy that it is for us to be your children? And would you help us to see the pleasure that that has been poured out upon Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who had the perfect walk with you that we couldn't have, And who died in our place and rose again and now is alive and at work in us. Father, would that give us such confidence in this life? So we need it. and We need you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.